You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Good afternoon. Oh, healthy and alive, you know. It was a bit odd having a day off, but, uh, you know, life continues. It was odd. It, it was odd. It I had was. two days off, and, and I thought to yeah. myself, you know, the first time I was actually, for the first day, I was like, okay, what am I going to, oh, we don't have anything to do tonight. And then the next day rolled around, I'm like, we don't have anything to do today either. So it's the calm before the storm, I guess. So uh, I guess we have to... Uh, take the time for what it is but um yeah and, well it, calm before the storm is kind of accurate because uh the day we're off we find out that oh look at that trump has covid so does many of the other people in the white house and senate and yeah you know i find that funny that that's just happened like that's just miraculously happened now yeah the the, yeah. the left is out there like michael moore's come out and he says oh trump's faking it and, you know he's he's uh he's doing all this as a ploy and which uh, yeah maybe i i don't know i don't know i doubt it but you know it's, i, I i'm I not gonna say it's would. not possible i yeah i don't think he'd fake it either now i think the t- the test might be a little bit ginned up because of what we see with uh you know the the faulty testing and everything and uh the false positives and all that crap but I find it funny that he now comes down with it. Melania comes down with it. Three senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee just happen to come down with it. Mm-hmm. McConnell mm-hmm. cancels everything on the Senate floor until like what, October 19th? So that's all yeah, shut down. So quarantine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So all this just happens at the one would think the perfect time. But if you were to watch the media, <laughs> if you're to watch the media, if you're to watch CNN, you think Trump's dead. You, you think Trump's already dead. Well, that's uh, what the media is saying. <laughs> is, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what they're saying. You, you think he's already yeah. dead. Uh, well, uh, what, what are we doing about uh, succession? Uh, where's the uh, where's the House committee? Are they convening? Are we looking at uh, are we looking at who's going to be next in line? Uh, why hasn't Trump turned over power to Mike Pence already? Uh, this is irresponsible. It's like th- this has a 99 percent survivability 94 percent if you're trump in his bracket right because it's 70 mm-hmm. he's over 70 yeah uh, and hello. i think that number skewed anyway yeah. because yeah. of the nursing homes but they they took him to walter reed out of an abundance of caution uh and so uh, they they took him there that's where he's at now and they're saying that he's experiencing mild symptoms uh and the move is obviously as i said it's out of abund- out of an abundance of caution the president's been working out of the offices there in walter reed for the last couple of days he's still doing stuff he's still getting things done he's still working name me another president that would have done that obama Clearly. Obama, well, to be honest with you, I think he probably would have. But he had so many people on things around him that, you know, they, they had plenty to do anyway. So I don't think it really would have mattered. But yeah. uh, they're saying that, uh, uh, let me see, his his press secretary, McEnany, I love her. She's <laughs> she's awesome. Just because I love how she handles the press because they're a bunch of scum anyway. But uh, she says out of... It, though. 
Oh, yeah. She, they, yeah, they, they can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, out of an abundance of caution at the recommendation of his physician and medical experts, presidents will be, or president will be working out of the presidential offices of Walter Reed for the next few days. He remains in good spirits, has mild symptoms, and he's been working throughout the day. And he did give a statement yesterday. I didn't watch it. Did you? No. No? Okay. I didn't uh, even of course, know he gave a statement. Yeah, he gave a statement. He he put it out on video. And of course, the CNN's going crazy. Did they edit out the cough in live time? Did, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Come on, really? I, they never miss an opportunity. They never miss an opportunity. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Just take it at face value. Jeez. The, now, see, this part right here makes me a little nervous. The president received an experimental antibiotic cocktail after his diagnosis. Uh, I, I, I don't like that idea. Uh, experimental cocktail. I, I don't like that. <laughs> okay. Technically, hydroxychloroquine and zinc is considered experimental. So Fair it enough. could easily just be something like that. And also, I mean, we've heard of um, some very well-known people that were doing like hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and there was another one. Um, it was some kind of steroid that go that you inhale. It goes straight to the lungs to help mm. with inflammation or anything like that. And I, I forget Albuterol, what that was called. Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called offhand. But I think that's what they um, give asthmatics when you have a you know an attack or something. You, you give them a hit of that. I think that's what one of them is. I, I'm not sure. But uh, as it continues on, so he's taking. This is what's going on. So his. Um, I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this, but it's it says. Um, in a memorandum released Friday afternoon, White House physician Sean Conley said Trump had received a single eight gram dose of Regeneron's polyclonin antibody cocktail. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm way off on that one. He said he's also taking zinc, vitamin D, uh, melatonin and a daily aspirin and, and something else. Uh, he says, as of this afternoon, president remains fatigued, but in good spirits. Uh, and he's being evaluated by a team of experts. I'm sure that he is. Um, uh, First lady. That, go ahead. That, the Regeneron Legend Cove 2. Uh-huh. Um, it looks like it's actually an antibody cocktail. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. Antibody cocktail. Antibody. Okay. So it's uh, basically that, that means they've taken antibodies from other patients that have survived COVID-19 and basically help and, and basically injecting them with those to help uh, combat it. I see. They've okay. done this before, I believe, with other diseases. It's just mm-hmm. this one is experimental in the sense of it's uh, new for COVID-19. I got you. OK. All right. Uh, First Lady Melania Trump remains well with only a mild cough and a headache. But she hates Christmas, though. Right. True. Well, uh, supposedly. <laughs> that uh, is so pathetic. I and, saw that. I yeah. heard the tapes. Like I heard the tapes and she's talking about all oh, so people are caring about or people are worrying about these these Christmas decorations. You know something? I don't care. Right. I, I don't care. I don't care because how many times have I gone through and I'm like, really, these damn things? Do I have to put these things up? You know, Christmas is not about decorations. It's not about decorations. It's never it's never been about decorations. Decorations when it comes to Christmas, that's marketing. That's all that is. That's it, it's symbolic to the highest degree. Christmas is about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It is not about uh, putting up, a, a you know, some tinsel or. Uh, hanging some lights off of a off of a damn gutter, right? It's not about that. It's about giving thanks, celebrating the birth of our Lord, and being with friends and family. That's what it's about. And gift giving, of course. You know, I mean, because yeah. you got to, you got to give a gift. And but well, I mean, that, if you're a heathen, if you're a heathen, it's about food and gifts and you know family. Time. Right. Right. Of so. course. Of course. <laughs> but yes. if you listen to if you listen to the actual tape um that was released she wasn't saying that 
you know, F Christmas and blah, blah, blah. She was saying, I'm trying to get this kid back to their family. And they're more concerned about the the Christmas decorations and they being like the media and all them. And she's like, they didn't do this under the Obamas. They didn't they didn't constantly go after Michelle about the Christmas decorations or or lack thereof. I mean, it, they didn't go over that. So it it I, I can understand the frustration there and, and her. Um, well, she's right. Shall we say uh, hostility? She, yeah. yeah, she's right. Because, because it's the media. It's the media. The, me- the media is one way. And the, like, there's no there, there's no middle ground with the media. None. So you can't make a deal with any kind of, you know, well, we'll, we'll do this story or if you give us this or, you know, you, you can't do that with the media. They're, they're going to look at things how they're going to look at things. And then they're going to demonize. Everybody's against the entire first family. It doesn't matter what they do. Keeping with Trump here. They're saying that uh, he could be released as early as tomorrow if his conditions continue to improve. That's not going to go well with the media, is it? They're, they don't like that. No. Oh, of course. No, no, no. See, it's he deserves it. Uh, he didn't wear a mask. He didn't social distance. He's out there having rallies. And this is what he gets, right? He deserves it. Uh, that That's the media standpoint. Not only that, social media is saying that they're, they're hoping he dies. And Facebook is okay with it. As long as uh, as long as you don't tag the president. Yes. As long as you don't tag the president, then there's no threat against the president, according to them. That's that's their stance. Uh, That's pathetic. That's absolutely pathetic. Those tech companies. I mean, I've said it before. They should be ashamed of themselves. They they should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, what what do you do with them? I mean, I know what I would do with them, but uh, we're you know, we're a nation of laws, right? We, We can't we can't just go through and seize a company and and padlock it. Uh, and shut it down. And well, I guess it would be it would I would liken it to almost like Grand Theft Auto, right? You go out, you steal the car, you take it to a chop shop, you strip it down, you sell it off for parts, right? That's what I would do with social media companies. That's what I would do. I would seize them. I would drag them in and, you know, in before a tribunal. And I mean, you talk about promoting hatred and division. These people are the masters of it. That's what they're doing and allowing this type of speech to take place on those platforms. And they turn around and they ban you know, conservative voices like Candace Owens. They, they ban people like Laura Loomer. They're kicking people off there like Spotify. They're going after Joe Rogan. Uh, anyway, uh, they say that Trump's going to be leaving as of Monday if his condition continues to improve. Uh, that was an update that was given today. Of course, you know, this will go out Monday morning. So uh, as the president continues to re- receive his treatment on man, who comes up with these? So Trump's taking remdesivir. OK, interesting. Says as the president continues to take his treatment on dexamethasone, I, I don't know, and remdesivir to fight coronavirus. So he's on remdesivir. That's funny. That, that's funny. Uh, a drug that failed all the trials. That's funny. He's on that one. Conley again, uh, White House physician. That's the, the dexamethasone is, uh, that's for inflammation. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Conley again said that uh, Trump has experienced two episodes of transient drops in oxygen levels from Thursday to Friday morning. Uh, Conley said Trump was doing well with mild symptoms and oxygen levels in the high 90s. By late Friday morning, president had a high fever and his oxygen levels began dr- uh, dipping below 94%, which, okay. I mean, that's, that that's, yeah, n- 94, 95, that's, that's about right, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to be on 100 unless you're on pure oxygen. There's no way. Right. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know the range exactly. I know my I think it was First I think GP he was at like 94 percent. Right. He was at 94. My, yeah. uh, I had a no, I, I, I had a family member that had 
uh, part of their lungs removed because of um, uh, lung yeah. cancer. And I mm-hmm. think they were at 94%. And they, okay. you know, you know how they do the little, they have the little sensor thing you can put on yes. your finger now. Yeah. I was at 98%. And so I'm assuming 98% is about normal. And the 94% is still within functional range, just, mm-hmm. you know, a little low. Uh, when his oxygen levels dropped below 94%, uh, Conley recommended supplemental oxygen treatment due to concerns about the possible rapid regression of the disease. Uh, Trump was adamant he did not need the treatment. Isn't that just a typical guy? <laughs> uh, no, I don't need that. Just get, get away from me. Uh, but it was nevertheless administered for about an hour at the White House. He began showing milder symptoms and began moving about his residence at the White House. But despite these improvements, Conley said the medical team determined the best course of action was to transfer him to Walter Reed for evaluation and monitoring. But it goes on to talk about his eating habits and and all that stuff. Uh, But anyway, Conley said, I'd like to reiterate how pleased we are with the president's recovery. Trump campaign advisor Steve Cortez described the president as upbeat and assertive as ever. The president's going to recover. We're highly confident. I wonder how Joe Biden would be faring if he were in this position. How do you think he'd be doing? Uh, Being as I don't know the the entirety of his his um, health problems. My understanding is is he might have like a high blood blood pressure problem, which would mean uh, potentially COVID would be more dangerous for him than say Trump. Cause I mean, if you look at, if you look at Biden versus Trump and, you know, compare it to the debate, Biden had a progressive, uh, weakening through the debate, whereas Trump was pretty solid and stable, uh, through there. Now, granted Biden had ups and downs, right? I mean, like he, he would, um, kind of, be more energetic or whatever, depending on what the attack was. But more or less, he was for the typical Joe Biden. He was low energy for for the past Joe Bidens that we've seen. That in mind, you add COVID into the mix. I would assume it would hit him worse than it would Trump, just based on those uh, what we've seen. I've seen a lot of arguments saying, "Well, Trump's overweight. Uh, he's in the risk range." Blah blah blah. And they're like, "Well, they're instead of saying." I've seen a bunch of memes talking about how instead of. Yeah, but Trump's um, always like, uh, you remember on the campaign trail, I mean, the dude eats like McDonald's all the time. He talks about how great their their food is. I mean, he eats ice cream, he drinks soda and all that stuff. And it's like, really? At that age, though, I I, I, at that age don't care. And honestly, uh, I wonder how much of it has to do with genetics uh, as well as. Yeah, I, I know your diet diet has part, you know, something to do with it, but. I know people that have lived to be like over a hundred and they, the, the kind of junk that they eat, you know, it's like, you should have like clogged arteries or something with the amount of fat and, you know, like, like Crisco and stuff that you put in your foods, you know, you should have died along and the healthy and they're healthy and going at like a hundred and healthy and alive. Like say it. Yeah. Healthy and alive. Say it. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. And, and like they're smoking and drinking this, um, you know, alcohol or, um, sodas and all kinds of stuff like multiple sodas a day. And yet they're still going. So I I'm, I'm really wondering how much of it is to do with genetics and how much of it really has to do with your diet. You know, there was a, uh, there was a former, I want to say he was like a German president or something, not, not a chancellor or something president here, something different. They just like sign laws and they just go on about their business. I mean, they really don't have any power to do anything, but I remember reading a story. There was one that died here a couple of years ago. And he was like the the German president from like going way back. I mean, like back in the 80s. And of course, everybody knew him. And he had the unique ability to write himself a law at the time that he retired. So it, it could and it could exempt him from anything within reason. And he um, he wrote him. He was a chain smoker and he wrote himself a law 
that said that he would still be allowed to smoke in buildings because here you can't smoke in buildings, right? I mean, same in the U.S. They, they got rid of that a long time ago. But uh, oddly enough, this guy was uh, admitted to a hospital over here. And of course, he, he died uh, of old age. He died. He was like 90, 92, 93, something like that. And oddly, I mean, what killed him was not it wasn't cancer. It wasn't from smoking. The guy was smoking up until the day he died. He was chain smoking like crazy. And that wasn't what killed him. And it's it's funny how that happens to some people. You know, some people go out and they, they can never be around it. And all of a sudden they just they develop lung cancer and they die. Uh, and then other people can smoke all their lives and it doesn't affect them. Uh, is it Roman Herzog? Could have been. I, I can't, I can't uh, recall the name. It looks like he died here in 2017. That sounds about right. There's another one that died in 2015. I don't know if that's uh, Richard be von Weiserzak. Weiserzak? I don't know. Names don't ring a bell. I, I can't remember. I, I just remember the story of this guy writing himself a law saying that he could smoke in public still, like in buildings and things like that. And he smoked all the way up until the time he died in the hospital. And like, that's not what killed him. Actually really disgusted at the media and social media. The, the response that they have towards the president uh, having COVID and, and the first lady and some of the other politicians. And celebrities. And and celebrities, yeah, uh, they've. It's it's really despicable how how they've responded and hoping he dies and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, really, is, is this what our our politics has devolved into? Is you, you're hoping the opponent dies because you think he's racist or you think he's? I I, I don't understand where they're getting the the racist stuff from. And and the, I don't I don't know. It's just it's sad. It's identity politics. I mean, we talked about it last week a little bit on the uh, the identity politics thing. They are 110% in the identity politics game. There's no getting out of it. They're checking boxes. And so they view everything through that political lens of identity politics. And this is the, this is the problem we run into with identity politics is we knew that they were going to go with this, right? I mean, we've been seeing this for quite some time. Those of us that have been paying attention, we've been seeing this for quite some time and we knew that they were going to go this route with it. And I've been telling people for a long time, look, you're going to see things get crazy at some point. This is long before COVID, right? This is long before all this stuff. We knew what was going to come down eventually, right? The whole uh, locking down of society and transitioning into uh, transitioning us into uh, a digital society and bringing in a, so a form of social credit. We knew that this was coming. We just didn't know how they were going to bring it in. We saw this after 2008 when the financial crash happened. We thought, okay, why are they saving this? Why? There's no way they're going to be able to stave this off. And we didn't know what the end game result was going to be. But in the last few months, we figured it out. The Great Reset. It was hiding right there in plain view the entire time. We just weren't looking in that particular direction. And then we felt we kind of stumbled upon it. And we got to look and we're like, what is this Great Reset stuff? What is all this? And so as we started to study this, and, and I've been telling people for years, I'm like, look, you're going to see people start backing away from this as it gets closer, right? The, the move towards this digital system. And that is uh, the election of Donald Trump. Okay. I mean, we, we had a, um, we had the push in that direction, right? They were moving us into the digital system, the digital age with communist China at the head of it, with the tech companies on board. We had every administration on board with it up to this point. This one has not been. And then of course, what'd you have on the EU side? Brexit. They decided they didn't want to be part of this uh, construct of this, uh, this world government program any longer. And the US, pretty much the same thing. They cannot accept the fact that people do not want them. So they've turned up the heat on identity politics. And as a result, you're going to see people all across the world, right, in, well, Western nations especially, because this is where we're being hit the hardest. You're going to see people rise up 
and start speaking on behalf of their nations, their countries. They're going to start rediscovering what it means to be an independent sovereign nation and to be an independent individual. And so when you have an elite that are playing the identity politics game, you have a power structure that's dying, that's playing the identity politics game through the media, through the entertainment, through the pop culture and all that stuff onto the population, through social media and the like, what's going to happen? I, I admit, I've been telling people for a long time, I said, you're going to see the media, you're going to see pop culture and you know entertainment stars and celebrities and all that stuff. You're going to see these people come out and they're going to call people that believe in their countries every name under the sun. They're going to call them fascists. They're going to call them uh, idiots. They're going to call them stupid. They're going to call them ignorant, science, not, you name it. Right. I and mean, we're hearing all those things. It, it's not that it's, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting here being some fortune teller. You can read what these people are doing and then you can extrapolate out how it's going to play out. It's not that hard. And so what's happening? We've been talking the last few weeks about what's going on in Berlin. The media is pretty much just ignoring it now. They're, they're not doing anything. They were paying a little bit of attention to it at first, but then it just started to grow and grow and grow. And what did I say? The movement will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the media has been ignoring it. They put another million people in the streets up there last week. Didn't hear anything in the news about it. Nothing. And those that you do hear in the news, in the mainstream media, those that you do hear, what are they calling them? Calling them fascists. They're calling them Nazis. They're calling them what are they call racists and and you know all this stuff. So the German government's come out, and this this is happening in the United States too. You know it is. Anybody that dares to stand up for their nation, what are they called? You know, a a, a, a racist, a, a white supremacist, right? This is what you're being called. This is what we're being called. So we knew the name calling was coming, right? They, they do that with identity politics. Germany has warned that nationalism. You hear this. You hear this? Nationalism. Now, th this whole rah, rah, uh, nationalist, what, whatever, this this garbage that these idiots did back in the in the 1920s and 30s. Damn right. Those people should be thrown out. Absolutely. Right. You, people should reject that idea. National socialism. You people are out of your mind. Any form of socialism doesn't matter what side it comes from. I don't give a damn what side it comes from. It's all a death cult. All of it. But see, now they've tied it to any form of nationalism. Any form of believing in your nation, any form of patriotism, any form of believing in, say, oh, I don't know, America first, somehow tied to racism now, right? Because of identity politics. They've pushed the name calling into that realm by default. 9-11, right? I'll make this comparison. 9-11, what happened? Everybody was surrounding around America, right? Everybody was cheering on the nation. We were unified as a people. Were we nationalist racist or something at that time? Because we were backing each other, because we were supporting each other, because of what happened was so heinous that that uh, we we looked inward rather than outward. So what? We're, we were all racist 20 years ago and now all of a sudden we're not. I, I don't understand. This is what identity politics has done. So Germany has warned that nationalism risks undermining the international political system. Well, you damn right it does. Of course it does. As I've said, people will back away from this unelected international body of people. They don't want to be ruled by people they don't elect. This is not what democracy is all about. We're backpedaling on 800 years of progress here in the West within a matter of months. It's pathetic. And I love how they're doing this. Yesterday was Germany's reunification day. That's why I want to talk about this today. And on top of that, because I'm here at the moment. So essentially, yesterday was reunification day. That's when the wall came down. East and West got together. I mean, basically, it's like our Independence Day, but it's for them for the new age. OK, same comparison. It says that nationalism risks undermining the international political system, the EU, they mean, which helped pave the way for the country's reunification. Not true. Not true. You read what happened after 
the war ended. And this is very important. And you can anybody can go and look this up because it's not largely talked about. The closest thing in our lifetime, the closest thing that we have to any form of true capitalism, true laissez-faire capitalism in Western civilization happened in West Germany after the Second World War. That was not an international political system that did that. That was a determined group of people that wanted to bounce back and build their lives back up. Those were people that demanded a very high standard of living at a very low cost, and they got it, and they worked hard for it. That's not an international political system of unelected people that gave them that. That was people that believed in promoting themselves and building themselves, and they believed in their country. That's not internationalism. 30 years since the day that East and West Germany combined makes us aware of the benefits of the international order. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Which is today so seriously challenged. You damn right it is. It is challenged. The international order is challenged. Unfortunately, even in Western societies, unfortunately, this is a German politician saying that. This is the this is the now German president, Frank Walter Steinmeier, saying this. Who do you think he represents more? You think he represents the German people by saying that? You think he represents the European Union by saying that? Which one do you think? He goes on to say that we Germans stand for international cooperation. Okay, that's a fair enough statement. Yeah. I mean, we've we've been dear friends ever since the war. I mean, I, and I think we're both better countries because of it, to be fair, even if it's become more difficult. And it has. I mean, it's, it doesn't come without tribulations. Of course not. No international cooperation does. All right, he went on to uh, to give his continuing speech, and um, he said that uh, he was speaking at a, uh, at a reunification ceremony. It says that he didn't mention Trump by name, but he noted that the U.S. had previously played an important role in facilitating European integration and German reunification. And he thanked he thanked uh, and he thanked America. And that's true. That's true. I mean, the U.S. played a key a key part in uh, in reunifying the country. But at the end of the day, that was actually that that was a German moment when the country reunified here. That was the German people that did that. Yes, we were in a standoff here. This was the line. This was the the line in the sand, if you will, of East and West. This was our our point for the allies standing between us and the Soviets. And I've been up there. I've been up there. I've stood on that line. I've, I've stood at that point. But it wasn't the Americans that did that. I mean, we, we aided the, the process. But at the end of the day, it was the Germans that did that. It wasn't an international system that did this. This was a cooperation of one nation with another that did this. But at the same time, it was also, yeah, we helped you get back on your feet. Sure. But the reason we did that, I mean, you have to think about it. You have to look at it from a humanitarian standpoint. The allies we bombed the living hell out of this place. I mean, to, to leave the German people the way that they were after the war was over, I mean, it would have been inhuman. We, we couldn't have done it. We, we could not have done it. So we needed to do something to to get the German people back on their feet and get them reestablished. And essentially, it's like jumpstarting a car, right? You jumpstart it, you give it a little kick, but then the system takes over and it starts to rebuild itself and it starts to run on its own power. And that's what the German people did. And they did a damn good job at it. But see, now you have an international body that Herr Steinmeier speaking about here that threatens to unravel all of that work that the German people have done over the last 30 years. You haven't gotten away from the system that was on the other side of that wall. You incorporated that same system that collapsed over there on this side of the wall. They traded in their rifles and their uniforms for Gucci suits, and they call themselves the European Commission. That's all they've done. And by the way, these are the same people that are left over a lot of them from that era. I hate to tell you, 
for those that don't know. He goes on to say the German president, uh, which, you know, he's the he's an official head of state. He's a figurehead, right? That's why I said that the German presidents, they can't actually do anything. They just kind of give speeches and they they sign a couple of things. And, you know, that that's really about all. I think somebody I know even has like a letter from one of them or something. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but they don't play an active role in government. They just kind of, you know, do their little things. But he says that people feeling disconnected from the political system creates a fertile ground for populism and extremist parties. I totally agree with that. You know, I I agree with that. That's a true statement. He said, we must painfully realize that the fight for freedom and democracy isn't won, not anywhere in the world. Well, this is the system that they're trying to take away from everybody. They're trying to take away democratic rule. They're trying to take away our voice. They're not interested in what we have to say anymore. Brexit, as I said with Marty on Friday, Brexit was the last straw. They don't care anymore. If they cared, then they wouldn't be taking the measures that they're taking, these national governments. By the way, I I just had to cancel my trip to Prague. I'm supposed to be in Prague in two weeks. I can't go there now. I had to get a refund from the airline. How ridiculous is that? He says people feeling disconnected from the political system creates fertile ground for populism and extremist parties. Well, then stop ignoring the democratic rule, sir. If you don't want people to feel disconnected from the system, then do your job. Listen to what we the people have to say. Whether you're from America, whether you're from Germany, whether you're from England, whether you're from France, I don't care. We fought for democracy. We fought and died for democracy. The generations before us, what the hell did they do it for? What'd they do it for? To listen to these political people in office? What, to listen to these people and, and have them roll back on 800 years of progress? These people are a disgrace to democracy. And he says that we must painfully realize that the fight for freedom and democracy isn't won, not anywhere in the world. I agree with that. It isn't won. It isn't won. When you have a political class that's out of control, that are in the process of repressing their own populations, democracy isn't won. We're going to have to fight for it again. I don't think it's a one and done fight. I think it's definitely a, at least here in America, this is an ongoing battle to retain what we've got, the, the freedoms and liberties that we have. It, it's We have to do it every single election cycle and in between. Thomas Jefferson even said it all the way back when. He says, look, you can fight all this 110%, 120%. He says, you're probably not going to be able to keep it. You know, John Adams even said, you've got a republic as long as you can keep it. And quite frankly, I'm surprised we've kept it as long as we have. We're the longest standing democratically ruled society in the world by constitutional standards. You can argue Switzerland, maybe. But we have the longest standing document of governance in the world. That's why the U.S. is under the attack that it's under now. I I don't think I could throw Switzerland in the same category just because if you look at the demographics for the the difference, when you... They have a very similar mindset or or, um, social structure, community, whatever you want to call it, like customs. Here in the U.S., it's a melting pot. You, You have... Dozens of different kinds of cultures all agreeing to live under the same government system. It's a, it's a, it's a different, uh, I, th- I think it's quite different in that sense uh, when you compare the two. Of course, nowadays, don't, they have a lot more um, immigration stuff. So, you know, that, that's kind of and it is, knocking it is a vastly door. different. Yeah, it is a vastly different system. I, I was speaking of of the country itself actually existing, you know, from from a from from that standpoint. Uh, they, they've been around a lot longer than us. But constitutionally, we're the longest. We're the longest standing. Everywhere else has fallen or been, you know, remade in some way, shape or form. I mean, European countries are not the same they were 70, 80 years ago, let alone 230, 240. When you have the people feeling disconnected, as he said, 
then yeah, you do have the fertile ground for populism and extremist parties. And that's very dangerous. So this is precisely why governments need to pay very close attention to what we, the electorate, have to say. This is why we have elections. So I I didn't want to get on too much of a rant there. I know I did. But uh, I thought that that was extremely important. Yesterday was, as I said, yesterday was the, uh, the reunification day here. And they're talking about how uh, the, uh, a rise in, in nationalism threatens to, I, I mean, I, there's not really any, I guess, evidence of that. If you want to call what the people are doing up in, up in Berlin, protesting the, um, the measures that are being taken as far as, I mean, those are just people that just want the sanctions to stop. That's all they want. And if you don't listen to them, then what's that going to do? That's going to turn people against you even more. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you demonize them. You crow in the streets and you kick and you scream and you shout. All that's going to do is make you in the government more unpopular with the people. This is why we have democratic rule. But anyway, OK, uh, we, we can move on. Uh, but do, do you have anything else there to say on uh, uh, on any of what I said? No, no, I think it was well said. Not really much else to add that I haven't already added. Speaking of COVID lockdowns and regulations and and all that stuff, which, you know, I actually had to tell somebody today what was actually going on in New York and in California. They're still locked down. Like, that's not even talked about here. That's not even talked about here. And they're like, uh, what, what's going on with uh, with California? Why why are you saying that they're in New York? Why are you saying that there's people leaving? Are, there, there's not anybody leaving. And I said, uh, yeah, they're they're fleeing. And they're like, well, what are they leaving for? I said, do you not understand? I said, nothing has reopened there largely. Everything's still locked down. Like they're talking about maybe planning a trip to go and you know, going to New York or something and going shopping. And I'm like, uh, you're not hearing me. There's nothing there. there there's nothing there. Not going to go into a sh- shop on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> Fifth Avenue is boarded up. <laughs> you're not going there. They're, they're not even they're, you won't even be able to do anything anyway, because you, you show up. You have to fill out paperwork for your medical stuff. And then if you refuse that, you get fined. And then you're forced to quarantine for 10 days at least. And if you violate that, then it's a $10,000 fine. So, yeah, I don't recommend any shopping um, uh, journeys, if you will. You're going to you're going to be really disappointed. You get here for two a uh, two week vacation and what you have four days to shop, three days to shop. Um, nah, you got to go I through a quarantine it. when you get back. Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're looking at a you're month down a month for there. what? Three days. Give me a break. Give me a break. You're, yeah, and you're telling me that there, this isn't to destroy business. Are you out of your mind? All right. So a Stanford well, professor. Most of them are shuttered. Yeah, most true. of the businesses in New York are shuttered anyway. What is it? Like 50, 60 percent? Um, yeah, they were saying, saying Yelp was saying like 60 or higher. So Yeah. And they're saying it'll be more. Yeah. A Stanford professor has come out and he says, in order to fully eliminate COVID-19, we would have to destroy our entire society, which is true. He says we'll have to get rid of all of our freedoms calling the cost not worth it. Well, I'm, I'm glad he at least uh, somebody's admitting that the, the cost of destroying our society is not worth eradicating COVID. Because here's the thing, we could completely destroy our society. There's no guarantee that it'll fix, that it'll solve COVID. There's no guarantee that we'll, we'll get rid of it, if you will. All it takes is one person from another nation to have COVID come across as asymptomatic, and then they can reinfect the populace. So what we should have done from the very beginning is... We should have kept everything open. Um, you know, if you wanted to do the masks or the social distancing or whatever, fine. But you only quarantine the sick or you or the the uh, more vulnerable. And the thing is, is we're finding that go figure. The more vulnerable, the ones that we were saying vulnerable, which is the the older elderly people above seventy five. Um, part of the reason that they were of the um, of that demographic of uh, you know it's it's more dangerous for them. Is the retirement homes. The, the retirement homes from five states are what screwed that percentage over. 
So really, it's probably a 99% chance of surviving it among all age groups. The problem is uh, the the retirement homes. Which I, I got something interesting on those retirement homes. We'll, we'll talk about that in here in just a little bit. A professor of medicine at Stanford University, right? As I said, he, uh, he says that uh, the price tag is too high for the goal of beating the deadly disease. Again, the cure can't be worse than the, than the disease itself, right? That was the whole point. Jay Bhattachara recently made a grim pronouncement during the virtual roundtable with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and other public health experts. He said over the last few months, he has been an, excuse me, over the last few months, he's been an outspoken critic on many of the ongoing COVID-19 lockdowns and mitigation measures that were first imposed in March. 14 days, huh? What my 14 days back? Speculation on the possibility of getting zero COVID scenarios. He says that that may not even be technically feasible. He said the cost would be so high, it's not even worth it. We'd have to shut everything down. It's the Green New Deal, isn't it? It's the Paris Accords. That's what it would require, right? Funny how we have a virus that would give them exactly what they need in the Paris Accords and in the Green New Deal to shut down society, isn't it? Funny how that just happens to come along. Of course, Biden doesn't know what the Green New Deal is, you know. He's never heard of it. Yeah, he says in in, in the same, like, two sentences, he says he's not for the Green New Deal, but then he's for the new Green, uh, green New Deal. And then you look at his website. He's saying, oh, I'm not for the Green New Deal. And then you look at the website, his campaign website, and he says... Hey, we're for the Green New Deal. So which it's is like it, fracking. Biden? It's like fracking. <laughs> yeah. Right? He, yeah. He's not he's not for getting rid of fracking, but yet he wants to get rid of all fossil fuels. He never said it. Yeah. It's kind but of, then he did say it. Uh... <laughs> anyway, the good professor goes on here. He says, we know that we're going to have to destroy our society in order to get zero COVID, which we know that that wouldn't even get rid of it anyway. Uh, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. You're telling me. You would me, have to destroy every society around the world. You, you would. Like You would. You would have to everybody. level everything. I mean, not only that, but- we're still dealing with the flu from 100 years ago. You're trying to tell me that you're going to destroy society over what? Over this? Uh-uh. No. And, and so, sorry. Thing, how are you going to get somebody like China to, to agree to it or Russia to agree to it, number one? Well, like, how about the fact they started it, it in the first place? Well, yeah, that aside. But looking at, let's say let's say the world agreed, quote unquote, the world agreed to shut down everything and fix COVID, right? Let's say we all agreed to it. Um, China and Russia aren't going to. They're going to see it as an opportunity to gain power. They're going to let the rest of the world destroy themselves and they'll be the technological uh, might of the world. And then what are you going to do then? You've destroyed your your economy and everything. They're going to essentially rule the world at that point. He says you can't put one person on a pedestal and ask them to make a decision for society, arguing that society shouldn't elevate one person as the arbiter of all the right things to do in an infectious disease. Hold on. Is he saying you should self-govern? I think he's saying that you should self-govern and you shouldn't listen to a little worm like Dr. Fauci, I think is what he's saying. That's crazy. What 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 era did he get this idea from? That that's seems crazy. How dare him? Well, not all is lost in all of this. Entrepreneurship is actually up. Though if you watch the media, you'd say you'd think that it was completely different. Entrepreneurship is skyrocketing during all this stuff. The pandemic offers a moment for creative destruction is what they're calling it. So this is something that I thought was kind of interesting because believe it or not, Bruce, I mean, this is kind of what oddly enough, this is kind of what we're getting into. And it, we're just doing like we were going to do this anyway before long before all the pandemic stuff. I mean, so we, we were going to do this anyway, but we're finding it a little difficult now to get some of the equipment that we need at cost, if you will, because everyone else is getting into all of this stuff, all this content creation and everything. So what's happening? The price is going up on everything. You know, I looked at a camera that's, you know, going on 10 years old 
And the thing is, is uh, double what I paid for it 10 years ago. It's ridiculous because I wanted another yeah. one. It's stupid. So as a result, I mean, if you're going to spend that kind of money, why not just spend another hundred bucks and get something that's, you know, ahead of its time? So, I mean, it only makes more sense. But um, everyone's getting into this and they're, they're saying with, you know, businesses being closed and, and things like that. I mean, I'm not going to get down through all this, this stuff, but uh, they're saying that Americans are starting new businesses at a faster rate in more than a decade. And that's because everyone's getting into online content creation and people are looking into working from home, obviously. But I mean, th- this, though, is a new direction for things to go. But before all this, before we started recording, you had actually when I just briefly mentioned this to you, you said that this is a step that they want people to take in a ma- yeah. in, in a manner of speaking. But at the same time, I don't think that I, I can I can agree with that. But at the same time, I also disagree with that because they don't want people feeling like they own something. They don't want people to feel like they actually have something because it's a zero asset future if we don't put the brakes on this. So what was your let the listeners know what what was your argument on this and and what was your uh, what was the stance you were taking about how people are getting into this? So part of the reason that they the elite want us to get into this level of or, or this type of thing, it's a service economy. It's no longer about you manufacturing, which they've said they want to develop uh, or, or, you know, de-develop uh, the developed world. So they want to reduce our technological advancing, uh, advancing and whatnot. They want us to go stagnant while the rest of the world uh, progresses until we're, we're about on equal footing, more or less, is, is what they say. But uh, that's not going to end up happening. It's going to put the entire world into a third world state, or really it's going to put the developing world in that state. And then the, the rest of the world will, will be allowed to advance that isn't developing. But anyway, basically that the, 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 the argument is they want us to go to a service uh, economy so that the developing world can go to manufacturing and, and bring up their economies. Um, it, it inherently already is happening uh, with capitalism, we're, we're kind of already doing that anyway because labor is cheaper in other countries, and by doing so, it's bringing up those economies and so on and so forth because you know they're 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 gaining more wages and and as they get more wages, they'll be interested in starting more jobs themselves because they'll have the capital to do it, and so in a sense, it it was going to happen anyway. And the fact that America, uh, we're but not just America. It's really it's really the developed world. You don't want to do manufacturing. You don't want a labor job, right? I mean, most people don't want a, a labor intensive job. They they would love to be able to sit at home and 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 uh you know do do this or or something like this. You know, to be able to work from home and and have it. Um, well, I mean, even if you don't want to work from home, it, it, it's really a tech job is is kind of what the direction things are are headed anyway. If if we're left to our own devices, so it this is coming either way to be a service economy or at least to be a the research and development side of things, and then manufacturing being shipped somewhere else. That's kind of the direction they were pushing us anyway. But they're they're just wanting to do. I, I feel like the elite want us to do this because then technically you don't own anything. I mean, yeah, it's intellectual property and, and, but this is not a, the podcasts we do, for example, yes, technically it's intellectual property. Yes, technically we own it, but we don't actually physically own anything. It's all ethereal. Like it's just a bunch of words and ideas. And when it comes down to it, it can be deleted from existence. Whereas if you own something, uh, it has to be physically removed from you or, you know, you, you have that idea of possession or, or this is mine. This is something I've worked for. And it kind of gives you that grounding. Well, in a way, I mean, the, the stuff we do here, for example, since you mentioned it, I mean, this is a, yeah, it's an IP, but I mean, we're, we're selling ideas. 
you know. But it, at the end of the day, is it really is it really our ideas? Yeah. It's not, is it? It's not. All we're doing is we're bringing it in a way. OK, we're bringing it up to the modern age. We're taking the old idea, the old traditions that we believe in, true liberalism, you know, the Renaissance, laissez-faire capitalism, founding of the United States, those principles. We're bringing that up to the modern age. We're packaging it up. We're interpreting all this garbage that we see in the in the news every day, giving our take on it. And we're presenting it to you, the listener, free of charge, and you're running with it. You say, okay, well, I agree with that part of it, but I don't agree with that. So you alter it a little bit, and you take it for your own, and you put that out to somebody else. So in a way, is it really something that we own? I don't think so. I think it's what you say. I think it's a zero asset. You know, it's a zero-sum game. But the the people that are getting into this, you mentioned the fact that these people are looking for ways to make money. They're not looking for ways to create a new marketplace. That just that happens to be one of the uh, the spinoffs of it is someone's creating a new marketplace. But I think the marketplace, as you said, through innovation was already going that way anyway. Right. I mean, if you look at companies like uh, like Amazon, for example, okay, they knew which way the tide was beginning to turn way back. Example, Twitch. Okay, we're talking about streaming and and, uh, putting out content, content creators, right, which is what we're doing. And these people getting involved with it around uh, different parts of the U.S. So Amazon knew that content creation was going to be a way going forward. They bought Twitch for what was it like a a little over a billion dollars or something. Microsoft got into the streaming game. Valve's gotten into the streaming game. YouTube's now big into streaming. And there's a couple others. I think Spotify is now starting to do streaming. I mean, if you look at um, Joe Rogan's podcast, for example, all that's video. You click on it and, and it comes up as video. So this seems to be the way that things are going. I mean, naturally, as you said, it's moving that way. But who really wants to do manufacturing? But there's a certain dignity to work, I think. You know, people people want to do physical labor because it actually gets them a sense of purpose. It gives them a sense of dignity. So I, I think that there's there's a certain part of us, regardless of you know the way that things move, I mean, there's something satisfying, you know, I, I mean, I, I do a lot of I do a lot of work from home, you know, and there's something satisfying about actually doing something, building something, making something. You know, if I go out and I actually have to physically do something like, for example, um, you know, I have a fireplace downstairs in my living room, you know, a real fireplace, a real stone fireplace. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it was it was done by hand and I have to go out and chop wood for it. There's something satisfying about that. There's it's physical labor. It's hard work, but there's something satisfying about that. And going out and actually, you know, building something, if I have to if I have to build something, um, you know, it's like, like, for example, in my backyard or I have to do some work on the house or something there, there's a certain sense of accomplishment. There's a certain sense of, of self-satisfaction. And it's it's a it's a booster for just not just how do, how do I want to say it? It's a boost just for your own morale, right? Your own motivation. And, and I think when you when you have a job that requires some type of physical labor, it also gives you that. And it gives back to society and it helps develop the marketplace. It creates a product. It creates a service that people want. Uh, and and if, it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't work out, well, then the market goes bust and it corrects and something else comes along. Uh, this, however, is contradictory to terms or excuse me, to understandings like, say, Michael Bloomberg. Do you remember how that idiot went up there on stage and he was talking about how uh, farming is such a simple thing? You just take some you take a seed, you put it in some dirt. Or you put it in a hole and you put some dirt on it and you put water on it. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, sir. You know, I, I mean, there, there's a certain dignity to, to actually working with your hands is the point I'm trying to make. That's true. There's also um, a bit of uh, uh, chemically made, like your body makes drugs, if you will. You know, the endorphins and whatnot that your your body releases on a successful achievement, right? Your, your, your body releases um, 
some uh, feel good chemicals. And uh, I mean, there's an that's why we encourage exercising and whatnot. It's not just for your physical well-being, but it's also for your mental well-being. There, there's a an element of um, uh, like stress relief and uh, you know the the endorphins that are released while you're working out um, and after a successful um, um, uh, set or whatever. You know, you you get that um, you get that boost. So there is an element of that with. Uh, manual labor. You know, you have the success of seeing your your hard work uh, physically in front of you. Whereas uh, with the stuff we do, you know, you do get an element of that, but it's not quite as rewarding. I don't think as as the physical manual labor. That that I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on that one because I, I still I'm really I'm proud of the stuff we do. Right. I mean, I'm proud of the content we put out and the the, the topics we talk on and the perspectives that we put forth. You yeah, have to take pride in it's it. a and we do. It's a and you know, to, kind of to your point earlier, you were talking about the this is technically our our free market of ideas, right? And that's kind of really when you boil it down, that's really what I was hoping this would be is is a um, an exchange point of 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 ideas, right? For for the free market of ideas, I wanted to, people to. I still want people to be encouraged to communicate with one another, right? And the stuff that we talk about, uh, I don't want you to listen to it and go, yeah, that, you know, that's right. Because you said it or, you know, or I agree. Pick it apart and and find something you disagree with and what you agree with. And don't just find what you disagree with. And like, because you disagree with it, find what you disagree with and then find what you agree with. And, and, you know, don't be against something is what I'm trying to say. Don't find something to be against it. So for example, um, I'm voting for uh, Donald Trump because I can't vote for Biden. That, that's a terrible stance. Uh, that's horrible. Uh, or, or vice versa. You know, uh, I, I can't vote for Donald Trump, so I'm, I'm voting for Biden. Don't do that. Instead, look at the two platforms. Look at what they they believe in and what what they're saying they want to do, and vote based on principles and on, on ideas, not based on person. Um, and I, I think you know that that's a better content of character, right? That's kind of what it boils down to is content of character. And, and and in this case, when you get into politics, it's not the content of character when you get into politics and, and that it's policy. That's your content. And and I guess it, it kind of boils down to the person's morals, if you will, what, what they stand for. Morals. Anyway, yeah. It yeah, boils they, down they, to morals. Is that what you're saying? It boils down to the yeah. person's morals. Well, all right. I, and uh, and I agree with you. And speaking of morals, I want to end on and I save this. I save this for last because I know how much you really you really love talking about this guy. And it, it goes to the earlier points, but it we just couldn't figure out how to fit it in. I, I don't think because we were going off on all different kinds of you know roads and things like that. But but this guy, right? This guy here. Since you bring up morals, this guy has probably I'd say he probably has the highest morals of anybody in the in the US right now. Uh, and that's your friend, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. Right now, we talk about this guy quite a bit. But what he said a couple of days ago was absolutely shameful. I mean, it's shameful. I couldn't I couldn't believe and may, maybe shameful is too nice of a word. Maybe, maybe I'm being too polite here and you're nodding your head, agreeing with me and smiling. Yes, <laughs> it, it's it's family rated. So, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's a family show. So we can't exactly you know, I, I can't say uh, the things I want to say because of what this man has said. Yeah, he has flat out denied that patients were ever sent to nursing homes in New York. 
can you believe this? Can, can you believe what this man has said? And you, you don't have to take my word for it. We've got audio of him saying it himself. This man set policy to send those patients to those homes when the state advisors for those homes, for those care homes, were coming out publicly and saying, you have got to stop this. He knowingly did this. Right there's negligence. He didn't reverse oh. it. By the way, he also said um, after he signed that into um, into effect, right? He then was on stage saying, uh, publicly saying, "No, we we don't actually do that. We don't have any policy that I'm aware of that sends COVID positive patients into retirement homes." And the the policy now, based on what he says here in in the audio, technically he's right. They didn't send. Uh, they didn't use the retirement homes as a quarantining facility. Sort of right. What what they did was, uh, if you were in a retirement home, you you were COVID positive, uh, you would be sent to the hospital if you needed hospital treatment, right? So uh, if you were positive, you would stay there until you needed hospital treatment. Then you would be sent to the hospital. Then when you no longer needed hospital treatment, you would be returned to the retirement home, even though you're still COVID positive. So in these homes, many of these homes are shared rooms. They're not private rooms, which means you're in the same, they're in the same vicinity as someone else. So coughing, sneezing, whatever, spittle goes around the room, you're infecting other people. And we've talked about it before. They, uh, retirement age groups, they, they, they tend to get around if you catch my drift. So it, it was easy to spread. It's a, as the media likes to say, it was a super spreader event. And 40% of the deaths is the estimate right now, based on the numbers uh, that they're willing to show us. Uh, some of the some of the states like Michigan, which we're I'm I'm hoping we get more information on what Michigan did uh, here recently. Uh, there was there was some some events that happened. What was it yesterday or the day before I yesterday? Do have, something like I that. I do have some stuff on Whitmer. We we don't, we're almost out of time, so I mean, well, we're actually over yeah, time, yeah. but um, we we will uh, we'll talk about Whitmer tomorrow. But I wanted to play this audio mm-hmm. here of Cuomo. Uh, now, roughly 6,600 deaths uh, have been recorded in, in New York, uh, have been recorded in New York nursing homes. OK, 6,600. Uh, but see, here's um, the problem. It, yeah, those are the recorded ones. Here's the problem. The real number is probably around 11,000. That's a rough estimate right now. But Cuomo has uh, been trying to um, assure the public that there's no need for an independent inquiry here uh, in, into all this policy. So um, but let, let's hear what he has to say. Before we do that, hold on. Before we do that, uh-huh. I, I want to. I have. I have one more thing to add with that six thousand. The six thousand actually could be accurate, and the reason I say that is the way they were tracking that number was retirement home deaths. It was a death in in the retirement home. But if you were in in the retirement home, you caught COVID nineteen, needed hospitalization, and were sent to the hospital, and you died in the hospital. It was not a retirement home death. It was a hospital. They they considered it a death at the hospital. So. Theoretically, yeah, uh, six thousand could be accurate, um, but uh, it's much higher than that. I, I think twenty thousand is probably closer to to what it was. But okay, go ahead. So this is Governor Cuomo, and we never needed nursing home beds because we always had hospital beds. So it just never happened in New York where we needed to say to a nursing home, "We need you to take this person, even though they're COVID positive." It never happened. We had extra beds. We had extra beds at Javits. We had extra beds at uh, emergency hospitals that we put up all across the state. So it just never happened that we needed a nursing home to take a COVID positive person. It never happened. Governor Cuomo saying that COVID patients were never sent to nursing homes. We, we know that they were. 
We know that they were. We saw the orders. They were public. We, we've got the, the the heads of the, the ones that sat on the boards of these these uh, these facilities coming out saying, you, you've got to stop this. You've got to reverse this order. We can't be taking these people. You're, you're killing people by the thousands. And now he comes out and he says this. And there's audio. I'm, I'm actually going to have to go back and find the other audio. I, I, I need to. He had audio last week. There's some audio of him last week saying that it's all Trump's fault. And I, how on earth? Like, this doesn't make sense. That like This doesn't make sense in a logical world. I know we're not living in logical times, but this doesn't make sense in, sense in a logical world. Anyway, you got any last thoughts on um, on Cuomo there before we have to uh, jump out of here? No, no. His family show. I can't say anything. OK, fair enough. All right. Uh, we are going to have to go. So thank you for sitting down today, Bruce. Fascinating conversation as always. For those of you who have not, you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. We love getting all of your feedback, your likes, your echoes, and your comments, and your upvotes. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 or you can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you want to reach out to us and you don't want to do it via social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends and family. We're trying to grow our audience here as much as possible, and we need your help as a loyal listener in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we're on just about every platform out there, including the new Amazon Audible platform. So we're available on Echo devices, Fire TVs, all across the world. Uh, we're on all the big platforms as well. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Yeah, they do one. iHeartRadio, Pandora, with the exception of SoundCloud. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you could drop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating at your earliest possible convenience, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time today, Bruce. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening. Because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence. And together, we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.